you can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we're both independent filmmakers that enjoy talking about film directors' work. And uh, we're currently going through past and present directors, and we're just over halfway through our first pass of the alphabet. We are indeed. So before we uh, get on to tonight's director, uh, just an update on our... uh our competition uh just to let you know so far we've had over 20 suggestions wow and they've been really good ones and so far we've only had one repeat as in only two people have suggested the same film so they've all been different picks so uh, not making our life easy out there. i was gonna say we got our work cut out for us then so we we, we have to choose yes. from that list we oh. have to choose yes jesus okay yes. but we're you know if you it's still open so if you want to give us your suggestions send them to us um i think you got to the end of the week by the time this comes out are we going with a majority or no no no, no these are our picks fine okay so these... we don't no. If there's if there's repetition, then it doesn't automatically mean no. that's what we have to go for. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> the, the the listeners, you out there, you're giving us a list of films to pick from, and then it's up to us to pick what we think, a what we want to talk about, and b what we think is movie heaven and what we think is movie hell. So we're gonna pick. So both me and Keith are gonna pick one each. Well, two each. Sorry, but. One be our movie heaven and one would be our movie hell. So the idea is that that episode, that New Year's episode, will, you know, we'll have four films like we would have on our normal episodes, but they will be from different directors and they're picked from by the audience. Brilliant. OK. And they, they can obviously tell who came up with the rules on this one. Can't they? <laughs> <laughs> as I'm here as we're recording asking you, what are we doing? How are we doing it? <laughs> Brilliant. I know the the uh, the rules haven't been that clear, but right. uh, yeah. Um, I also would say if you're uh, sending us a suggestion, um, keep them to maybe a, a couple, because um, you know some people have sent us quite big lists, and I've see, asked them to there's... shorten it down. So, yeah, there's people out there like me, you see, that can't choose and want to <laughs> want to talk about everything, and it's like, oh no, how do I narrow this down? Ah, oh, yeah, no, it's funny, but that's cool, excellent. 
excellent look forward to it yes yes and we'll something be, different and we'll be recording that one in december splendid yes god it's scary it's getting close yes <laughs> ah so right on to this week's episode oh. so keith who are we going to talk about yeah we're talking about people that's hard to pick films for uh, uh another one that i absolutely love um we are talking about christopher nolan for n and uh interestingly with this one um whereas many of the directors we've talked about so far have you know been either directors that we sort of grew up with so before our time you know um christopher nolan is actually sort of in our generation because he was born in the 70s so he's a director that you know is 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 in the same generation as as you and me simon the only difference it being that he's made it big and we haven't yet right yeah. well <laughs> i was going to say this about how he is like a contemporary of ours that um you know he was making his first feature following in 98 the same time as i was uh you know studying to become a filmmaker so it's exactly um, well, i made my first film in in actually 99 so yes not far behind him absolutely yeah, yeah. and it's just uh, i just remember people were always talking about following as being this great student film Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, oh, I went to the screening of it. I thought it was great and the stuff. And uh, I have to say, it kind of put me off watching that film because I'd seen so many sh- student short films that to see a student feature was like, oh my god, that must be like the worst thing ever. And um, it wasn't until Memento came out that was when I sort of really started to sort of get interested in Christopher Nolan. The thing is, I have gone back to watch Following. Um, quite recently it took me a while to get there but uh i put my prejudice aside and i watched it and i thought it was a very good um you know student film i mean it's very very low budget and stuff but um i think um how it overcomes its sort of no budget level is the fact that these storytelling is very strong and the fact that there's a twist and there's that thing that keeps you just you know wanting to know what happens no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this, this is a guy, this director's another one where I've literally seen all of his feature films. Um, I've seen them all multiple times as well, which I'm sure we'll get into because there's, there's often uh, needs and reasons to see them more than once. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you know, absolutely uh, following. Uh, it wasn't the first film I saw of his. The first one I saw of his was Memento, and that made me go back and watch Following. Um, and, y- y- you know, considering that was sort of, well, what we all do in many respects, you know, shot at the weekends with a small crew and low budget, and, you know, it took him over a year to get it done and things of that nature. But w- w- one of the things I think is quite interesting um, is... You know, you and I talk about the fact, and it's scary, you know, because it makes you realise time goes by, but, you know, how we've been, you know, getting on for 18 years now, sort of in the business, you know, at the end where we're at, the independent film end, trying to uh, trying to make it big and, and trying to get recognition and get out there. Um, you know, and it does, it takes a long time. However, by the same merit, it's funny that once you do get... Um, a foot in the door, as it were, how things can uh, change quite quickly. Because when you think about it, with it, within five or six years, he went from 
having done this, you know, student film at the weekends, uh, you know, on an old Bolex camera to, you, you know, developing and uh, relaunching the Batman franchise. <laughs> you, you know, so that's when, when you actually look at it that way, it's like, wow, his career, you know, bearing in mind he did several films in between as well. His career actually took off relatively quickly after that, you know. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's I have to say, you know, uh, I know of other stories where people have made a first feature film that got a lot of press or did really well. And they went to Hollywood and, you know, and they made their next film and it didn't quite work out for them. And, you know, it's uh, Christopher Nolan is a bit of a, a success story, you know. Huh. I, I guess he's the kind of guy who's held up to say, well, look, this is what you can do. And uh, yeah, and but the thing is, he's he's been very lucky. Yes, he's, he has. He's yeah. been very lucky because there's other people who've been in the same position as him who haven't, you know, done as well. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say, you know, he's got, he's, he definitely has talent. He's a very talented uh, and very knowledgeable and intellectual filmmaker. But you're right, he, he, he had a break, he got lucky. But what he what he also did, yes, he had a certain element of luck there. But, you know, he made sure that he continued to deliver with his with his with his film outputs. And, um, you, you know, I know we're going to talk about a couple today that we, we maybe don't like as much. But generally speaking, across the board, I feel that he's got a pretty impressive um, body of, of of films under his belt thus far, you know. Yeah, I mean, it for for this episode, it's kind of like saying this is our least liked, um, you know, film. I do that his. on everyone, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, mean, I know the, what I'm like. <laughs> yeah, the quality of his work is is very high, and even his sort of films that we don't, you know, you know, think are as great are still better than you know, another director's film. So it's, you know, it, it, his work is of really high level and it's kind of, you know, stuff that a lot of people strive for mm. because, you know, he, you know, for a while there, he did make, um, like, you could have an intelligent uh, summer blockbuster. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, yeah, you know, and, and you know, even though he is, a, um, you know, from the same generation and whatever, uh, you know, I, I have to say that he, yeah, he is as influential on me as 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 other directors were when I was growing up. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, good stuff. <laughs> yes. Also, I think it helps that he writes his own screenplays, uh, either with some a writing partner or his brother. Yes. But, well, I mean, yeah. this this is one of the things, again, he, he, I think he's quite fortunate um, with is... Uh, you know, although he's very smart and, 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 you know, produces good work, he's very lucky in so much as he sort of surrounded himself with this family team that support him. So he's got his, his, his wife, um, who Emma Thomas, who he obviously met at UCL. Um, she's been the producer of his films across the board, as well as his wife and mother of his children and all of that stuff. But also, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. He, he collaborates with his, with his brother, Jonathan, um, on many of the screenplays, as well as other script writers as well. So he has kind of got, you know, he's, he's set up his production company, uh, Sin Copy, and he's kind of got this um, little 
sort of family industry around him. And uh, I, I think that's also quite enviable because, as as we've often said, you know, making films is kind of an alternative lifestyle in many respects. Uh, and, you know, if you can surround yourself with, with, with people that you love, that you happen to get on well with creatively as well, then it's all good, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, I, this is one of the things I do really like about him is that he brought everybody up with him. I mean, I, I've, I've worked with other directors who, as soon as they get a bit of money, it's bye bye. You never hear from ever again. And it's just great how he's brought all these people with him. He's, you know, he's worked with more or less the same team on all these films and you know worked with the same actors that these actors want to come back and work with him and also the fact that um you know three of the actors from following have appeared in his other films actually i think all three um the main guy the girl and the cop who uh, incidentally is his uncle john nolan oh right yes that's right yes yes he's that. the, he's the <laughs> english um board member on uh, on the wayne foundation isn't he right Wow. I really wish I was in uh, Christopher Nolan's circle of actors. Oh, that would be that would be awesome. <laughs> but I mean, he's he's brought these people with him and, you know, you know, made sure that they they, they get work and stuff. Uh, I think the other actor in following, he hasn't done anything else. I, I was looking online and there was like I went to his IMDb page and there were questions under underneath it. Go, what has this guy done? Because. The, the other two main actors, they had gone off and done other stuff. Not as, you know, they had like very small uh, fleeting parts in Batman Begins. But, um, you know, they had gone on to do like TV and stuff. You know, they had done like Casualty and uh, they had done like, you know, as I say, you know, BBC ITV dramas and stuff right. like that. But well, may, may, maybe you felt it wasn't for him. I mean, that is the thing, isn't it? It's not for everyone, this life. And, uh, yes, this is um, true. You know, but but yeah, no, I I think that is nice that he he didn't forget the people who helped him get there, which is which is a very valuable lesson, I think, for any anyone listening out there. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to our picks. So, uh, Keith, what is your pick for movie heaven? Right. Well, um, as I already said, it it was kind of hard to pick because there are so many of his films that that I really do love. Um, but as I often do with this, I just went with sort of uh, a gut reaction and I, I've chosen Memento from from 2000. And the reason being, as I remember when I first saw this, obviously had no idea who Christopher Nolan was at that point, hadn't seen following at that point. And uh, I came out of the cinema actually, you know, knowing that he was of the same generation, as we've said, uh, I came out of the cinema actually really envious that I hadn't thought of this <laughs> and I hadn't made this because I, I thought it worked I thought it was so tight and it worked so well and it was one of those films that instantly made me want to sort of go back and watch it again uh, which I think I did um, so uh, yeah so that's that's why I've chosen it uh, again you said about working with his brother this was actually based on a short story that his brother had written and told him about. And uh, Christopher Nolan thought that was so interesting that he, he asked whether he could maybe develop it into a feature film, a um, uh, feature script, which he, which he then went away and, uh, and wrote. Um, and uh, yeah, it, you know, 
a really interesting film in so much uh, that, it, that it works in a non-linear fashion um, and uh, in a way where you've actually got sort of two, two threads going on in the film. You've got um, the, the main story, uh, which is sort of told in reverse, meaning that, you know, it starts with the end of the film and works towards the beginning. And then you've also, and that's done very subjective. It's done from the uh, the point of view of the main character, which is played by Guy Pearce in this film, a character called Leonard. Um, and then you've also got a more objective shot in black and white um, story that, uh, that intercuts with it, which is kind of like, um, you, you know, uh, Leonard setting up ways to try and remember things and deal with this memory loss that he has. Cause sorry, I, I forgot to mention the character, the character, basically for anyone who hasn't seen it, the character has a, um, uh, a condition as he calls it, whereby he can't create any, uh, new memories. He doesn't have short term memory. So he can remember, you know, who he is and, and what his life was, but any, any conversation he has with someone, now you know in a few minutes time it's completely forgotten and he's he's forgotten why why he was there and what he was doing uh which which you know that in itself this was kind of the basis of the story that jonathan nolan had, had come up with and and that it's in itself was quite interesting so christopher nolan chose to actually you, you know frame this within this this non-linear um structure which i think he does very well um uh, so, as I said, he's, he's chosen to film it part colour, part black and white. Having said that, in terms of the palette of this film, which I found quite interesting, was obviously the guy has a limited memory and he kind of fed that into everything else to do with the film. So it's got a fairly limited palette. Even the colour stuff, it's really only sort of beige and blue and grey are the only real colours that feature. Uh, he, he drives a, a sort of dirty british racing green jaguar but you know it, it, it's it's all kind of from that that palette as well and it is it's a mystery story you know you as the audience we're we're kind of like i said he's filmed it quite subjective we're, we're kind of with the guy pierce character in the fact that we don't really know what's happening and we don't find out until the scene later um uh, you know so again it, from a from a structural point of view, um, planning this must have been an absolute nightmare <laughs> because, because, because of the way that was done. But uh, as I said, in, in terms of the, the more objective documentary black and white part of it, um, you know, the character of Leonard played by Guy Pearce, who, oh, interestingly, uh, originally um, Brad Pitt was, was interested in this role and, 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 they couldn't make it work for whatever reason, uh, possibly to do with budget. Who knows? But what I find is quite interesting. If you look at Guy Pearce in this film, he is kind of styled very much on a Brad Pitt look. He's kind of got blonde, spiky hair and and, you know, he's in very good shape. He's very cut. And um, what he does is he, he has tattoos on his body with 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 clues as to who he is and things he, he's learning. And what he's actually trying to find out is the reason he has this, um, this temporary amnesia is because somebody killed his wife, 
who incidentally was played by Georgia Fox, who then went on to be in CSI. She played a Sarah Seidel for, you know, nine seasons of CSI Vegas or whatever. Um, she gets killed and he's trying to find out who killed his wife. But, um, when, when he got attacked by the, the, the guy that killed his wife and, and, and hit over the head, and that's what's caused this condition. So, as I said, we're on this journey with him. The, the attacker's name is uh, John G, isn't it? This, that's that's, that's right. the clue he has. Yes, he has a few basic clues, which, as I said, he, he sort of tattoos onto himself to, 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 to keep track of this. Um, there's, there's lots of other devices used in this, which I really like. Um, everywhere he goes, he, he uses a, uh, a Polaroid camera so that he can take a picture of where he is, like the hotel he's staying in, for example, and, you know, instantly have that developed and ready, because, of course, this was slightly pre-digital, but also um, allows him to actually write on the strip at the bottom notes as well about who these people are and how he knows them and how he met them and things of that nature. So he's got the Polaroid. He also uses post-it notes quite um, uh, consistently as well to around his hotel room. He's trying to piece together this mystery and he has various clues and maps and post-it notes and all this. And again, it's that, you know, like we've talked about with other directors, one of the things I really like about this is, is the attention to detail and all of these um you know, little details and things. So even though this was a relatively low budget film, it's it's a very dense film. It's very, it's very um, you know, visually crafted. It's obviously editorially incredibly well crafted and tight. And um, you know, there's some good performances. Carrie Ann Moss um uh plays a, a character called Natalie that we're not sure, you know, whether she's whether she's sort of a um an antagonist or a protagonist you, you know we, we we don't really know as until the story begins to unfold and in terms of the um uh the the, the well in inverted commas bad guy in it because again we don't know she she managed to get involved in the production uh Joe uh, Pantoliano, who was the who she worked with on the Matrix um, right. films a year or so before this, so um, he's in it. He plays a character called Teddy, which uh, you know is helping him investigate, uh, you, you know, what what had happened and who this mysterious uh, John G character is. Um, but yeah, it's a really it's a really really well crafted film. It is the sort of film that uh, even though it's massively enjoyable the first time you watch it, it does make you want to go back and actually watch it and look for clues. And you can have a very different experience watching it the second time. It's one of those layered films. And I believe, although I haven't seen this, uh, even though I've got, well, again, I've had this on DVD and Blu-ray, and I've watched it numerous times and watched loads of extras and whatever, but there is an Easter egg that allows you to actually watch the film in chronological order. But I've never actually wanted to do that because I don't know, I feel that would kind of ruin it in, in, in some respects. <laughs> well, yes and no, because um, I haven't watched it, but uh, piecing together the story, I think it still, it can still work. I mean, would it be as enjoyable? Probably not. 
No. But you would get the whole sort of Sammy Jenkins story first, and then you'd get, um, you would then get the revelation of you know who he was and what happened, and then you'd see him being turned by um, Natalie Carrie Ann Moss's character to sort of you know the sort of pitch Teddy. You know, well actually, I mean it's Leonard really who sets Teddy up to be, um, you know, the next John G. Because it turns out that um, not only had he got the real John G, that he'd been used by this cop played by, uh, you know, Teddy to, you know, to get rid of other sort of scumbags. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, to make money on the side because the guy he kills at the end is a, a drug dealer. That's right. With the money in the boot of the car that he drives and, and actually the clothes that he's wearing. <laughs> it, it's it's yeah i mean it, it, it's very interesting you know obviously uh the natalie characters mass massively manipulative um but but most of the characters in leonard's life are and they are almost using him as this kind of almost like an assassin with no memory which is kind of interesting there's that and also the fact that um the owner of the hotel he's staying at has got him booked into two rooms <laughs> yeah oh, that's, that's, that's hilarious as, as i said there is a nice bit of sort of even though this is a very serious film yeah. um there is some nice kind of uh, dark humor in it as well um oh, which, exactly. which i think is quite nicely done but uh but no it, it is it is one of those films that um definitely deserves multiple viewing if anybody is listening to this and hasn't seen it i i you know i highly recommend going and checking this out because you will be drawn into it and you you won't be disappointed. And uh, I can see, you know, th this was the film basically that opened the, the, the doors big time um, for, for Nolan's career. And I think, you know, deservedly so, because this, this film, um, you know, we obviously know it takes a lot of people to get a film made. It's not all, you know, on one person's shoulders. However, you know, in terms of, of, of being thought through and uh, nicely put together and the attention to detail and the structure and, and all of those things, this really was a, um, uh, an amazing film for, for, I think the budget was around $9 million dollars. Um, you, you know, which sounds a lot, but obviously isn't a lot in, in Hollywood terms. And I, of course, you know, we'll, we'll come on to this later, but obviously shot on film. And um, uh, yeah, re really, really interesting. And uh, as I said, my, my initial reaction when I saw it was, wow, who is this guy? Why didn't I think of this? This is fucking brilliant. What else has he done? And that's when I went back and, and found following and uh, watched that. And, you know, obviously you can see the leap from following to this, but also, you know, you have to put that into perspective as well. Following has been a template for his storytelling technique in most of his films. This is true. Because um, most of his films are not told in chronological order, that they jump around in time. And it was kind of, it was really perfected in Memento because and also put you in the shoes of the antagonist of the Lenny character because you suddenly started, you know, going, well, what did just happened and what mm -hmm. did this just lead to? And 
you know, it, 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 it got you confused. But the why the sort of the two stories being told in different chronological orders, because you've got the main story going backwards and then you've got this backstory where he's talking about another character who had the same condition as, as Sammy Jenkins that, um, you know, is, is going forward. It's a great way to sort of cut the film up and to, mm. you know, just to divide those segments because you imagine it, if he didn't have that black and white segment cutting in between each sequence in the main story, it wouldn't have worked. No, you'd be even more confused. Well, yes. Exactly. It would like it. it, it, it yeah, absolutely. Having the color to black and white to color to black. Well, and no, white it's not kind I, of. I, that's not what I'm getting at. Sealed it together. It's not. I'm not talking about the color palette at all. I'm talking about the fact that you have these two storylines, that you have these two concurrent stories going, and that if you didn't have the second story going, it could have been in color. It didn't have to be in black and white. It could have been in color, but because you had this second story going, that it was able to sort of cut up the main story into parts so that you wouldn't be confused, that you would know kind of that you, you know, all right, we're, we're going to find out what happens now, you know, before that last segment we just saw. It's a way of, it was a really good editing technique to, um, you know, find out what happens, you know, just to make the audience not confused that they can get into step with the the whole sort of story idea and that's kind of like why it's why it's a brilliant film and why it's held up so high as it is because uh without that second story which also is giving you a background into lenny that's making more of an attachment to lenny than if it was just the story of him you know trying to remember what just happened um you know connecting you to that character but also able you to enjoy the film and not feel confused and you know as i say it's just a brilliant bit of storytelling and uh, editing yeah no I, I, absolutely i mean you, you know he does he does like to um you know in his films you, you know i mean i always think of it as filmmakers and and you know editors and whatever we are what effectively what we do in telling stories is is we play with time you know we manipulate time and um you you know he he has proved you know on numerous occasions with with uh his his ways of storytelling um you know he's used that very effectively like you said with 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 non-linear storylines etc but also multiple layers uh as well i mean uh, you know we're not going to talk about it tonight but another amazing film of his in terms of the multi-layers thing is inception yes which which you know again you can go back i think i watched that film you know at the cinema maybe three or four times because i got something different out of it each time and uh he's, he's very clever but when we talk about levels we talk about these different dream realms because the story is told in chronological order, it doesn't jump around so much. But there is flashback, yeah. but the story is told in a linear fashion. It's you know the, the beginning starts at the beginning and then you know finishes at the end. I mean, there's there's another thing that he does a lot in his films is where an opening shot will be kind of like a clue to what's going to happen later. So uh -huh. like with Inception, the opening shot of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Being washed up on the shore 
is kind of like a you know a clue of what's going to happen at the end. Yeah, precursor, yeah. and he kind he kind of does it. He does it in Memento to a certain extent as well because he has that shot where um you know they're in the uh, abandoned building you know where it sort of it begins and ends in that location and uh, yeah you know and and they and they've got it riddled with clues which is great. Yeah, but I mean the the beginning of Memento starts with the film reversing. Exactly, so, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, I like, I like the fact that the Polaroid, yeah, that you know, that whole bit is played in reverse, and uh, you know, the Polaroid cut sort of develops as as the credits are going, which again, I thought was a really nice, nice cinematic and thematic touch that he put in there with that. You know, there's, there's, this it, it, it really is a great film. I mean, um, you know, I could wax lyrical about this for, for hours, but it's it's a really good study, um, you know, in, in filmmaking as well and, and, and storytelling. And, and, and as you rightly pointed out, you know, having those two um, different stories playing out simultaneously as well um, really, uh, re- really keeps you hooked and engaged without without spoiling it. You know, it sort of drip feeds you that information. Yeah. and. Uh, it, it, you know you're right there with the with the with the lead character which is which is very good right <laughs> uh i think we can we can't um leave it without go, saying about uh as we're recording this the news has dropped that they're going to do a remake of this film which yeah. no it's why exactly why i it's i, I mean what is it a, you know apart from a film everybody knows that it needs remaking hmm well i mean it doesn't even look dated no. that's the that's the other thing i mean okay you know it's 2000 what we're uh, 15 years on or whatever but it, it it's still it's still a contemporary setting you know <laughs> it, it doesn't look old <laughs> i know so what yeah why why do that that's ridiculous it's just hollywood's disease at the moment that they are just they just want to do remakes. They just want properties where, you know, that the title is instantly recognizable because they know people will go and see it. Mm. And it's just, it's, it's annoying from the point of view that if you're trying to get any original work done, it's so difficult to get it out there when all the studios want to do is do remakes. I mean, eventually this is going to bite them in the ass. This is people going to stop doing, seeing these films because it's like, well, what's the point of watching another inferior remake of a, of a classic? Mm. You know, again, they're going to run out of stories because there's only so many films that people know. Yeah. I must admit, I, you know, in this particular instance, I wasn't particularly uh, wooed to hear, to hear that, um, that news it just seems to me it just seems too soon it seems yeah. like this is happening you know 20 years too early <laughs> it's kind of uh anyway it's not needed it is what it is it's not needed it is right well moving on from momentum uh i'll get on to my pick and uh i thought i'd talk about a film that doesn't get much love and um that's the prestige I love it. Oh, I love it too. But I'm <laughs> saying it's uh, out of his films. It's uh, it's one that a lot of people don't really talk about, and it's it's a shame, really, because um, as much as it's one of these films that has a, a you know a massive twist in it, it, the the thing is, it isn't about the twist. 
I mean, the the story is about these two competing magicians played by Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. And it's just this whole, um, you know, back and forth between these two guys trying to, you know, kind of get back at each other. I mean, it's more to do with Hugh Jackman's character, uh, uh, Robert Anger, who um, he seems to be the one who is more... um, trying to think of the word i mean they talk well, they talk about it a lot because he was it they say michael kane says something is a young man's game yeah i mean well i mean obviously go on, help, help, terms, me, with, help ter- me with the yeah, word yeah no i mean in in terms of mo- well I, I don't know what word you're searching for there but in terms of of, of motivation and obsession That's or it. whatever obsession. With character, Thank you. obsession i i mean you know he, he, he rightly so because of you know what happened to his his uh, fiance <laughs> at the beginning of the film, so you know, I, I can kind of, uh, I can kind of see why he's why he's motivated to do so. But you're right, it's it because, and you're also absolutely right in the fact that it's like any magic trick. It's it's not necessarily about the twist; it's about the misdirection, isn't it? And uh, that's that's what's that's what again Christopher Nolan does quite well with all of these things because he always has within the actual filmmaking and storytelling is itself he has something thematic to whatever the subject matter is and and you know obviously we 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 talked about you know with memento the the you know the telling the story so you couldn't remember you know you're with the character that couldn't remember what happened beforehand so telling it backwards but in this case you know a lot of it is about the, the the misdirection um which you know uh magicians do as 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 part of their uh, illusion well yes there's that but i mean the whole fact that there's you know uh hugh jackman has an obsession with christian bell i mean for the fact that you know that he was the cause of his wife's demise but also the fact that he comes up with a trick that he can't figure out and that he tries to outdo him on this trick so so many so many times to the point where he comes up with a way of actually doing it where it's not a trick, but it's, you know, it's, um, you know, but his soul is, is at, you know, at risk, you know, the fact that this sort of obsession over uh, Christian Bale and, and his magic and stuff, you know, just leads to a bad end. It leads to a bad end for both of them, really, doesn't it? Oh, it does. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. Mean, it just, no, it just leads to no good at all. Um, but um but, but and interestingly, I just want to say though that um, the story is told in a non-linear way. You see, um, you see Hugh Jackman's character being killed, being drowned, the same way like his wife, and Christian Bell is there, and he gets framed for his his murder. You know, he's he goes, he's there. He must have done it, and so he's in prison, and he's been able to get a copy of Hugh Jackman's. Um, of diary and so he's reading it and it's kind of so you have that flashback um going where he's reading christian bell's uh diary of events but then oh sorry hugh jackman's um diary of it i get confused because hugh jackman at one point in the film has christian bell's <laughs> diary <laughs> diary which he's yeah, reading. No, absolutely. and um and of course it turns out that uh you know Christian Bell gave him 
adapted this diary through his assistant played by Scarlett Johansson as a way of sort of throwing him off what his trick is. Now, oh, the lovely Scarlett Johansson. Oh, we do like her, don't we? <laughs> well, you've got Rebecca Hall and uh, yeah. Piper Parabo. That's right, yeah. yes, yeah. Who, yeah. you know, uh, I think both Americans actually do very good British accents. Yes, I, I, I would. Accents. In fact, talking of accents, the only thing, I mean, I love Christian Bell. I think he's a great actor. But I have to say, I was a little bit distracted by his accent in this film. I thought you were going to talk about David Bowie's accent, because that's the accent everybody talks about. Yeah, yeah but, but what no is it? there was only one David person Bowie's. who could play Tesla, and that was David Bowie. I know, but I have no problems <laughs> with that accent at all. It is. Yeah, I think at the first time you hear it, you're kind of going, "Oh, that's that's a bit weird." But then I think your ear just gets used to it, and I think it's you know it, it works for the character. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I think I think I think what's interesting is is obviously you know again Jonathan and Christopher did the screenplay on this, but it was obviously based on a on a novel by um, uh, Christopher Priest. Yeah, yeah. but th- this came out in two thousand and six, and you know we've talked before about how weirdly in hollywood you know sometimes uh projects that are similar sort of come out at the same time oh, well yes. the, the the um neil Berger's the illusionist starring um edward norton uh came out at the same time didn't it That's if right, memory yeah. serves yeah although I, I have to say i preferred this um, um i have to say they're, they're they're actually both very good films and yeah i think the only thing that connects them is the fact that there's magic that there's Except, well, a magician. It's the pit yeah, well, it's the period, isn't it? It's the well, time yeah. they were set yeah. and, and the fact that they deal with magic. But other than that, I, mean, I, I think you're absolutely fair. They're very different films otherwise. And they're both very good films. Very different they're both stories. Very good I mean, films. The Illusionist yeah. is about, you know, uh, it's a love story, really. And yeah. he's, he uses magic as a way of getting back with the girl he loves, who's, you know, he's of, of a low standing. He's like, you know, lower class and she's, you know, higher class and you know, that kind of love across the barriers and stuff like that. Of course. And that's the lovely Jessica Bill, isn't it? And that's that film right, yes. memory serves. Yeah. Right, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just want to say, I mean, the, the, the trick that, um, that Christian Bell comes up with is, uh, is a really good, it's, uh, I think they call it the traveling man, where it, he, he has two doors and he has, <laughs> yeah. he walks in through one and he bounces the sport and then he comes out the other and catches it. These two yep. doors, which are spaced apart, and there's no connecting tunnel or anything. Absolutely, it's great how um, you know Hugh Jackman's character comes up with a similar way. I mean, that must have been—he must have loved th- this film because not only does he play a magician, <laughs> but he also gets to play his double as well. Exactly, which is which is hilarious <laughs> because obviously his double is an a, a drunk actor. <laughs> which, let's be honest, that's always the fun part to play, isn't it? A drunk actor. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, well, uh, I think we're going to go into spoiler territory. Like, spoiler I, I, alert! Spoiler alert! Yeah. Um, so, if you don't want to know the twists in these films, because there's quite a few twists. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, did I, I you... enjoyed rewatching this, yeah. I have to say, because yeah. I, I saw it when it came out, was very impressed with it. Uh, but I don't know if I actually, uh, un- unusually for a Christopher Nolan film, I don't know whether I saw this one more than once at the cinema. I'm not sure. But uh, I grabbed it on Blu-ray 
um, for this podcast. And I have to say, I, I thought it was absolutely wonderful to sit through a game. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But I mean, film. did you, um, first time round, did you kind of spot the twists with, say, let, let's start with Christian Bale's character. Did you spot his twist? Well, I, I always like to, you know, think that I'm that I'm ahead of everyone and all this sort of stuff, obviously. But yeah, I, I always kind of thought, hmm, who, who's that actor then? <laughs> he looks kind of familiar, <laughs> you know. So I want to say, I want to say yes. I mean, it seems wow. it seems so obvious now, yeah. but um, but I mean, I, no, know. I I didn't know the twist, but it, it is. Yeah, I do like the fact that um, it, at the beginning, uh, when they're both sort of apprentice magicians, they are told by Marco Kane to go and see this other magician who does the fishbowl trick. That's right. And they can, so he says to them, "Can you figure out what the trick is?" And of course, the trick is is that he pretends to be an old crippled man, so that when it becomes for the actual trick itself, which needs a lot of strength, it looks amazing. Because how could this old crippled man be able to do it? Yeah, uh, but and it, that's the illusion. But it's the illusion, <laughs> but it's also an illusion that he's committed to for the rest of his life because he has to play that part. And that's it's, it was it was nice to know that that was also what Christian Bale's characters. Sorry, as I said, it's going to be spoilery. Um, mm-hmm. You know, were that they were twins who committed to being the same person of the sake of one trick. Yeah, it's it's nicely done. It also it's so at the end because because obviously you see the um, the somewhat complex relationship mm. that Christian Bell's characters has with the two leading ladies in the film. So yeah. you know, Rebecca Hall is his wife, and Scarlett Johansson is his uh, mistress. assistant, well, mistress. mistress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, lucky bugger. No, uh, but uh, <laughs> but you, you know, you kind of see that, yeah. but and you sort of think, oh wow, you know, it's, and then and then obviously when we get the reveal at the end about this, it all makes perfect sense. It does. You know how how. Um, you know one one of the one of the twins actually you know loved uh uh the rebecca hall character, character and you, you know truly loved her and and you know that whole thing about do, do you love me today you know that 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 little thing they had that little sort of um flirt that they had going on through it and it it, it totally it's one of those films that all those little setups mm. and there are Lo- loads of subtle setups throughout this entire thing, but every one of them pays off beautifully by the end of the film. It, it, it does. I, though the the thing I kept thinking last time I watched it is how much easier it would have been on their other halves if they just decided to play the the separate parts all the time instead of both being the same person because they kept swapping roles, didn't they? And I mean, that was a hell of a commitment, getting his fingers chopped off and everything. <laughs> well, I, 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 actually, I know, I, well, I think the thing was because one was the actual magician, the other one wasn't. Yeah. He was more of an assistant than he was a magician. He wasn't the one who came up with the tricks. That was the main guy, but he was the one who did fall in love with uh, Rebecca Hall's character. Yeah. So No, absolutely. Absolutely. I, it, it's It's really nicely done. Uh, as I, as I said, I found you know I, I, the acting you know these are great actors in this, but I, I did find initially Christian Bell's sort of working class accent a little bit forced and distracting, and it was not consistent. Although one could argue that oh well yeah, but that wasn't the same guy in that scene, you know. So, yeah, well uh, I, I have I to also know, say but... at least he wasn't doing the Batman voice, which he you know after Dark Knight it was. 
most of the roles he was in, he was doing that sort of, you know, yeah. especially we'll especially that. in Terminator <laughs> Salvation, where, oh, yeah. <laughs> where, you know, a nuclear explosion just knocked his helicopter out of the air, and yet he can still do... Yeah, I'm John Connor. <gasps> yes. the, the, the many faces and voices of John Connor. Yes, a whole other podcast. There you go. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I mean, you know, it, it, this film, uh, again, um, you know, uh, a collaborator that, that, that's been in, well, uh, lots of Christopher Nolan films and must be a joy to work with is, is Michael Caine is also very good in this, I feel. He is the one who sort of keeps the whole thing together because he is the he's the voiceover you hear at the beginning where he describes what the prestige is, you know, in magician terms. It's like a, a trick is made up of three parts. Mm-hmm. And um, and also you get that sort of voiceover at the end. Also, you know, having, you know, because he knows both magicians and he seems to be the connection to to the real world in some sense because he's a man who builds tricks and he's obviously sells them to both magicians because um he he knew what christian bell's secret was yeah because he he knew that they were brothers but he was yeah but i mean he was quite willing to um you know keep that a secret because he could have quite easily told hugh jackman what the, the the secret of the trick was? Well, actually, he did tell him, but Hugh Jackman never listened. I thought yeah. that was that was very interesting. But so let's go on to the twist with Hugh Jackman, because you know, as we say, he's obsessed with this trick and finding a way of, of doing it better than Christian Bale's character. And so he goes and visits uh, Mr. Tesla, Mr. Tesla in the states, and um, comes up with a a cloning machine it's a teleporter but it also creates a clone that's what the teleportation is is that it yeah. creates a clone makes in, a duplicate in yes. a different location and uh the opening shot of this film sort of you know sort of is a wink to that because it's a shot of all these um oh the hacks isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. the thing was the machine it, it was kind of like it's uh, a floor isn't it because it, it's not a real it, you know, because they were trying to make a teleportation machine, but what they became, it, you know, it, it literally became like a, a photocopy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. It's, it's almost like kind of a uh, a, a version of of a three D printing machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it became a replicator, literally, rather than a than a transporter. So it, it's kind of two two different bits of Star Trek technology mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> So it's interesting that you a bit of information is sort of withheld from you when you the first time he uses the device, and he sees the his duplicate appear in front of him, and he sh- he shoots him, you know, he, he kills him, and so he comes up with this scheme of how to do this magic trick, night after night, and I think there was only he was only going to do like a, a hundred performances of it, wasn't it, and that the the prices would be, you know, really high. But mm-hmm. it would be something that people would want to see because yeah. it had the whole, you know, it had the razzmatazz of having this machine with lots of lightning coming out of it. And, uh, and of course, having to sort of kill himself night after night. I, yeah. And it, was a, it is interesting. Well, it's a questionable obsession, it is, that's yeah. for sure, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, he uses that to get back at Christian Bell. 
Yes. And it's it's a very clever scheme. If it wasn't for the fact that he didn't realise that Christian Bell had a twin, and his twin was going to be very pissed off <laughs> that his yeah. brother had been hanged. So, yeah. But uh, no, it's um, it's it's a really good film. I mean, a really I agree. Good film. Yeah, and, uh, I'm I, glad you chose it because. It, you know, like I said um, at the beginning, it, there's there's some really tough choices in there because you know, um, uh, you know, Inception's great to talk about. Um, Interstellar, even though that's divided people a little bit, is is a fascinating film. It is, and you know, it's 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 hard to choose. And, and the fact you chose this, I was like, oh, okay. And and I was really glad you did because, as I said, going back and watch revisiting it and watching it again. Um, you know, which is part of why we do this, as well as discovering new stuff. But it is revisiting the old is 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 uh, is is fun, and and you know, this is a incredibly well crafted, acted, uh, produced, directed, shot, written everything. It, it, it's it's really kind of hard to uh, hard to pick to bits. Really, it's yeah. it's it's good. It it's, works. It's uh, it's is an overlooked gem. I don't think enough people talk about it. But I just want to say uh, on Interstellar why it was kind of um, diversive or diversive at the time was the fact that, um, you know, I, I think people were expecting it to be like a 2001, you know, Space mm -hmm. Odyssey kind of film. And they didn't quite think that they were going to have this whole subject of love in there. And uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it did. I think people did sort of didn't like that. I, I enjoyed Interstellar. Um, I think it's I think it's a very good film. It's not one of his best films, but it's certainly a spectacle. I mean, it's a three-hour running time, and uh, I remember when I went to see it with my girlfriend, we were entranced throughout the whole film. Well, well I was lucky enough to see it at the um, in IMAX at the uh, um, at the Science Museum, mm -hmm. and um, Christopher Nolan actually did a Q and A. Uh, which was fantastic, yeah. So uh, you, you know, you know, it, it, I, w I was very fortunate to uh, to get to see it in that environment, and uh, you, you know, have him come and 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 discuss it. And so, yeah, I was I was fortunate. But yeah, I, I do I do do like that as well. But it it is hard to pick. It is hard to pick films because uh, you know, generally his body of work is is good, and. Um, you know, it's hard to pick a movie heaven. Um, likewise, I think it's quite hard to pick a movie hell as well. It is. So, <laughs> moving on to our picks for movie hell, Keith, what yeah. is your pick for movie All right. hell? No worries. Well, I think, again, I, I went with initial reactions when I first saw something. And I'm sure, you know, people are probably going to hate me for this. Um, and I know, I know, you know, back when we did the Tim Burton film, a couple of listeners got annoyed that we we went on to a subject which we can really geek out about. But um, <laughs> I, I have to say, I've chosen this movie Hell. Um, it's actually The Dark Knight Rises. And the reason I've chosen that is a uh, massive fan of both Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Love those films to bits. Um obviously was was first in line to get a ticket to see Dark Knight Rises in IMAX on its opening day. And my feeling was, uh, even though I thought it was good film and all this, but I had a little bit of only, what I can only call the sort of return of the Jedi syndrome 
with it. And and what I mean by that is that there were aspects that that I loved about the film and, you know, overall, you know, it completed the story and there were a lot of, a lot of pluses in the film, a lot of good, good elements to the film, but there were things that bothered me. And I just felt that this film compared to the others, um, I just thought it was, was over long. Um, I felt that there were, you know, plot holes, which, you, you know, normally he wouldn't get away with. But I felt, you know, because because by this point, you know, he was so, you know, um, worshipped with this whole Batman uh, thing. And I felt, you know, I questioned some of the credibility. And, and I say that with tongue in cheek in so much as we're talking about a film you know, a film series here that's talking uh, that, that revolves around a guy dressing up as a bat and and, and you know fighting crime. So I use "credible" in it in, in inverted commas. But um, oh, well, let's let's start with your your first set of problems then. <laughs> right. Well, well, well. Here's the thing. I mean, first of all, you know, I always like the the sort of little side things that we can, we can talk about with this. And 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 I said at the beginning about how Christopher Nolan's career. Um, uh, accelerated quite quickly from from you know Memento, and then he, he had a couple of other films, and then you know got to to do the Batman franchise. And and really, when you think about it, he was you know we're talking what was that two thousand and five or whatever the first Batman, and that and that was kind of what started. Again, it had been around for years in other media, uh, in other mediums, and obviously had al- already been done in film. It was nothing new. You know, we'd been having remakes for years. We talked about reimaginings when we did the Burton podcast. But this brought into the sort of common film vernacular this this term and this idea of a reboot. You know, once once they did this, you know, we had James Bond wonderfully rebooted with Casino Royale. We had, you know, the likes of the Star Trek and X-Men franchise being... um, you know, rebooted in very imaginative ways uh, and, and whatever. But, um, you know, they tried a reboot with the, the Jack Ryan uh, series a few years earlier with um, uh, Some of All Fears. And oh, yeah, pe- people were confused. Itself. Yeah, people were confused by it because they were like, well, hold on. You know, this doesn't make sense because he's younger, but it's set now. And he met that character in a different place in the Harrison Ford film and and all this sort of thing. So I think in many respects, um, you, you, you know, Christopher Nolan kind of set a standard that that, that, that Hollywood is, is obviously since followed. And, and, you know, obviously everything's being rebooted and reimagined nowadays um, at various results. Can I just say about that? Um, you know, um, well, the thing about Batman is he's a character who has been open to reinterpretation lots of times. I mean, that's, I think definitely one of the great things about certain characters is that you can tell the same story in different ways. And what was the great thing about Batman Begins was for the first half of that film, you got to meet Bruce Wayne. Yes, which had been missing in a lot of the other. Because usually they just jump straight to Batman. Even yeah, in, and the villains, the villains' origins, yeah. but never, never Bruce Wayne himself. Yeah, so no, I, I agree. I mean, the, the the thing is, obviously, that yes, they've been doing this in film and storytelling history for years, from you know Sherlock Holmes to James Bond to you, you know whoever. But um, the 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 thing that 
that Christopher Nolan also did with 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 um, Batman uh, Batman Begins and, and and Dark Knight is he kind of grounded it as well in in this kind of he went for this sort of realistic approach uh, to the character and to the world and. Um, you know took it again very seriously like he does with things and he kind of you know he did something very different to to what you know Burton and Schumacher had done with 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 the series previously um and sort of sort of grounded it so my my thing when I ended up seeing um uh Dark Knight Rises is there were just sort of things where I just, I just, I just had, I just had a problem with, with, with elements of the story. Um, I had a prob problem with the fact that, uh, you know, I, I had a hard time buying that they managed to trap all of Gotham's police force, apart from a handful led by, you know, Commissioner Gordon, underground for like five months, and that they managed to sort of seal the city off obviously they blew all the bridges and stuff and of course the, the the river froze over in the winter and they sort of managed to you know Bane managed to have this sort of master this big master plan and and managed to do all of this and and I I was I was distracted from the storytelling because I, I kind of I kind of um just sort of sat there thinking really with some of this the the other thing is obviously I, I love the fact they'd had the sort of eight year time jump since um uh dark the, the events of the dark night which obviously ended you know fantastically um but uh you know bruce wayne was obviously still suffering from you, you know when we first see him he's older and he's got a, a you know a cane because of, of of that showdown that he had with harvey dent and whatever at the end of, of the second film and obviously, you know, he, he comes up with this knee brace thing to sort of get back into action. But then, you, you know, you have the whole fight with Bane and his his back being broken and then him getting dumped in this in this prison where we're not exactly sure where it is. But, um, you know, they leave it with with with, with you know, a, a, a hole at the top and, um, you, you, you know, his back kind of gets his vertebrae gets knocked back in and you, you know within a few months or whatever he he's he's back and and up and running and you know he manages to get back to gotham unaided and and kind of knows where uh selena kyle is going to be and i i don't know i mean i i'm i'm nitpicking you are nitpicking i, I mean you're talking about a guy who runs around dressed up as a bat well, I, said that, I said that at the beginning, didn't I? So yeah, I, I caveat. I, I caveat. I, as I said, I use the term "problems" with that, with yeah. with a massive tongue in cheek, because right. I know. But I just felt. I don't know. I just. I it's just kind nothing of felt that anybody else hasn't covered. I mean, I think uh, people had a lot of problems, and I think one of the main problems was people's expectations going in. I know my expectations of going in would be that it would ha take place not years after the dark night but in the um the aftermath so yes. you would see him being hunted by the police that he would still be out there battling uh, criminals but now he was a criminal as well so he was having to watch out for the the police being on his back i did not expect him to go into hiding <laughs> for eight years you know no <laughs> waiting no, for exactly. you know something to happen 
that um you know so he could come out of retirement or i don't know what the hell he was doing because he just seemed to be well i think it's to do with what the story is about the story is about him wanting to die it's mm -hmm. it, it's it's what it it's the whole thing is leading to. it's what it's leading to it's leading to he's going to go up against a force that's bigger than himself as in bay and he's you know and as alfred says to him you know there's a different this your your story doesn't have to end with death with you sacrificing yourself for everybody and but it kind of what has to come down to in the end you know so the story is about somebody who has you know he has not hung up the cow but he 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 feels that the only way to sort of you know continue his life is to you know is to die in the line of duty you know to sacrifice himself for the the city he loves and uh, he doesn't see any other life for himself but this but the whole thing with him being put into the prison is to show that he should actually be scared of death that he should want to live and so you got to look at this the things that happen in this film as kind of metaphors Oh, most definitely. And, 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 and I have to say, I mean, obviously I picked this film, you know, we, we, obviously we have to go away and watch each other's films and research and all this before these podcasts. I picked this and having gone back and watched it again, I actually enjoyed it a lot more this time because I put that to one side and, and just took it for what it was. And, um, you, you, you know, I don't by any mean, by any way think this is a bad movie and I never did, but I just was slightly disappointed with it. I had that slightly disappointed feeling um, where, where I, I didn't feel completely satisfied with it like I did the the, the, the first two. Oh, and I, uh, I, I even went and watched the trilogy in, in IMAX when they came out. And again, you know, I struggled through the last bit. I really did. It was like, uh, you know, I just felt the pacing on it. I didn't feel it was quite as tight, but I appreciate it had a shitload of loose ends to tie up that had been established in the previous two films. So I get that when you're doing a trilogy, you know, that has to be done sometimes. Well, so I, I mean, get it. I know this is certainly a complaint that's been put forward about this film is that it really glosses over the events of Dark Knight. I mean, you get Harvey Dent and the whole sort of Harvey Dent bill, but there's never been any mention of the Joker and his sort of uh, reign of uh, chaos that he had there no. for a short time. And it is kind of sad that that does sort of get very much glossed over. Um, I mean, it's, you know, unfortunately that is just due to the fact that Heath Ledger's death and that they didn't want to, um, you know, get somebody in to do a pale imitation. And I'm glad they did. They did. Because no. he had absolutely nailed it and it was very sad that whole thing but i do recognize people's complaints about the fact that there was no mention of joker at all mm. and um but the, the thing for me is that it's really it, it plays more of a sequel to batman begins because it continues the rouse al ghoul storyline yes and also you even get jonathan crane stroke scarecrow turn up there well, as he's, well he's in all three it's a cameo yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, in no. all three films <laughs> yeah but, uh, but no they bring that rather but they, yeah. even that i felt i felt even that slightly flimsy because obviously it had the uh 
the lovely Marion Colletard in it, who, who's great, um, as is, you know, uh, Anne Hathaway is lovely as well as Selena Kyle, Catwoman and whatever. But the, the, the relationship, you know, doesn't really develop. It's kind of like Bruce meets her one day, they get stuck in a little rainstorm and then the next thing they're in bed together. And I, I, I was kind of thinking, really? You know, you know, even that kind of felt forced to me. It didn't wow. feel... That well done. Not forced, but there it's 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 done as a story point rather than you know actual two people falling in love kind of thing. It's again she's somebody who's given him a way out of this life that he's in of being Batman. You know they talk about you know going away somewhere because now you know because he's lost all his money Mm -hmm. uh, and he's poor. That you know that he could he's been given a way out. Which, uh, for a story point of view, works very well. But when you find out who, you know, Miranda Tate is, it then doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. But saying that, when that twist did happen, when we found out who Miranda Tate was, it made total sense. Because in the comic books, you know, Ra's al Ghul always had a daughter, not a son. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so when Bane was being held up as being, you know, the son of Ra's al Ghul, you were like, oh, okay, they've taken this a different way. So, oh, okay, all right. Oh, well, that's, that's interesting because, you know, you, you you sort of don't question it at all, really, because well, no, they, they he's changed moved so away many things. On other things yeah, yeah well, they changed so many that. things. But then when you find out that uh, who really is the, the child of uh, Ra's al Ghul, you're oh, bloody hell, that's really clever. That's really good. Yeah, and I, I, you know, it's it's unfortunate that that twist, that introduction happens so late into the film. So then, when suddenly she's the bad person, um, you know, you don't get much time of that, and it just seems very much tacked on. But yeah, and she kind of gets taken out pretty quickly. Yeah, but she gets taken out the same way her her dad gets taken out. Yeah, you notice that that she she drive. You know, they both fall great heights in vehicles. (laughs) <laughs> this is true. This is true. I mean, the, the other the other thing, I mean, obviously, you know, all the nice tie ins to the mythology, um, you, you know, I think uh, um, David Goya, who who is involved in these with with Jonathan and Christopher, you, you know, um, is a lot to do with that. And I, I have to say, I, I was lucky enough to see him do a screenwriters lecture last year. Yeah. And after hearing him speak, I've got amazing respect for that man also. Um but uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, my, my problems with it are completely nitpicky. The other the other thing that I really that, that did sort of wind me up as well, and again, it's not a massive thing, but it just kind of annoyed me. Is I really like the character of James Gordon, you know, played wonderfully by Gary Oldman. But this film, I had a problem with the fact that it ended up that everybody apart from James Gordon seemed to know that Bruce Wayne was Batman. <laughs> and then when, when he sort of tells Jim Gordon at the end about, you know, saying about putting the coat around a 10 year old, 12 year old boy or whatever. And, and, and thinking he goes, Oh, Oh, Bruce Wayne. And it's like, at that point you're kind of thinking, duh, stupid, you know? And, and again, <laughs> he says at the beginning, he doesn't care who the Batman is. So know, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's like, uh, uh, yeah, at the end there is like, he goes, who are you? And he goes, I could be anybody. I could, <laughs> I could be a person putting a coat around another person. 
Yeah, I mean, we have to talk about the Batman voice. And, the, and they had to put the clip from Batman Begins there in case you didn't understand <laughs> yeah. what he said. Yeah. <laughs> wow, well, I think that goes mostly for general audiences. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, yeah uh, I think the thing, um, I think one of the things that does make it very funny with that voice is it, it's very good if you're threatening somebody, you know, like in the first one where... It's like, um, you know, he's got like a copper up by the leg holding him up above the street. And he's like, confess to me. You know, that <laughs> works very well. But then when he's doing long speeches, like the people of Gotham just showed you. <laughs> you know, you're like, <laughs> wow, bloody hell. So throat, yeah. what? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's it's been parodied ever since, hasn't it? It's, it's kind In, of like, including, uh, you know. <laughs> mm, what a lovely singing voice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, again, again, talking of voices, I mean, you had this kind of Bane, this sort of mixture between Darth Vader and Sean Connery. Yes. <laughs> it was kind of like, yeah. whoa, yeah. that was a bit jarring to start with. But yeah, I you remember they, well. they showed this, uh, the opening sequence uh, at the IMAX as a, a precursor to the film. I think they showed it like December, January time, and uh, the, the complaints came out that nobody could understand what you were saying because of <laughs> volume issues and stuff, and I believe they did go back and re-record it. Right, okay. Interesting, interesting. Which, you know, the thing is, you don't know if the the, the voice was changed in effect at that screening or if, you know... They were really early on in the post-production uh, period and they had just done that bit and they really hadn't sort of played with the levels and stuff. So you, you don't know if they if this was their plan all along or not. But um, it, is, it is kind of funny, especially that opening sequence, because uh, I didn't realise this, but there's a whole um, meme that's come up now uh, called CIA Man. Because you know you've got the Alien Gillian character Mm-hmm. You know, when he's got these guys up in the plane and he's like, right, um, I've got a flight plan that's booked for six people. So that means only one of you can stay. And he does this <laughs> whole thing where he pretends to shoot them and then throw them out of the aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this whole if you if you if you type up um, CIA man or, um, you know, Batman CIA, you'll see all these amazing memes and people dress up with him, the whole sort of blue shirt, khaki pants, you know, hands on hips. I'm CIA, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it is yeah. funny. It's like, mm, he's wondering why you would shoot him before throwing him out of an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, and the fact that there's all these parodies must mean that, you know, that I'm not completely insane. There, there yeah. are, there are, you know some issues with this well i <laughs> think there's a lot of issues actually... with any kind of comic book character where you know it's like with superman where nobody realizes he's clark kent and all he has well, to do yeah. is put on a pair of glasses yeah no absolutely absolutely i mean uh, overall um you, you know i love what he did with the the, the batman franchise yeah and yeah. i'm a big fan and i like it i'm just i, I had to pick something for movie hell it was hard to pick anything <laughs> from his his body of work and i thought well it gives us the opportunity obviously to talk more about batman again because we love that yeah. but also um you, you know for me to just say a few of these nitpicks and uh you know i'm not saying it's a bad film and it ruins the the, the trilogy or anything. In fact, I do quite like the fact that it is a trilogy with a beginning, middle and end and it wraps it up. Yeah. And, 
you know, with a bow on it. And it's it's going to be that. Uh, well, it's already been rebooted both for small screen and big screen. But, um, you, you, you know, the fact that it's, uh, um, you, you know, a, a, a complete saga, um, which which, you know, let's be honest, incredibly well made saga. Yeah. Um, what, one thing as well, while we're on this, that I wanted to talk about with Nolan, and this is probably a good film to do it on, if nothing else, yeah. is the fact that Nolan, you know, again, compared to some of the directors we've talked about quite recently, um, Nolan is a big proponent and advocate of film over digital. And obviously, you know, very much likes the IMAX format for some of his things. And I think that's quite interesting. Um, there is a, I don't know whether you've seen it or whether listeners out there have seen this, but there is, uh, in 2012, they, there was a really interesting uh, documentary, um, which was hosted by Keanu Reeves called Side by Side. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I have I've, I've seen that documentary. It's, the thing is, though, uh, it, I didn't think it was very personal on on Keanu Reeves' point of view. It was kind of like, oh, I'm going to talk about an issue that for like the last 15 years has been discussed on shooting people. It just came across as like a shooting people argument. I mean, if, for those who don't know who shooting people are, it's a website where, you know, you can join up and, you know, you can look for work on there and um there, there's discussions and stuff i mean i don't know what else it does because i haven't been a member uh since they started this you know charging for this wonderful service of this but um weekly there would be an argument about film versus digital mm-hmm. so watching this documentary it felt very much like that you got your people who love digital and you got people who love 35 mil and it didn't seem to be there was nobody who was like saying, well, I really like 35 mil, but, you know, digital's coming along. It was either one camp or the other. You're, you're right. I mean, it, it, very, it was very much split. I mean, you, you, you know, you had everybody. There, there were a lot of people on there. You had um, obviously Christopher Nolan, but you had Scorsese. You had um, uh, James Cameron, George Lucas. You had uh, Steven Soderbergh. Um, David Lynch you know you had quite a lot of directors the only ones that I felt were it was a shame that were missing because that you had definitely ones that are in one camp or the other or or, or that had transitioned is is obviously Spielberg and Tarantino would have been amazing for the film side of things and then for ones that have sort of transitioned um Michael Mann who we you know talked about and Ridley Scott you know they're ones that have both come from film and but also embraced um digital and and obviously sadly he'd already died by this point but even like Sidney Lumet um in his amazing career his last film uh, before the devil knows you're dead which is an excellent film by the way if people haven't seen it but he did actually embrace digital technology um for that which was his final film but uh, interestingly Nolan take it back to Nolan he says that there are no archival formats worth anything in the digital realm that you would put any stock in which uh which is quite an interesting statement true it is true i mean the problem with technology is that it keeps moving forward so um if you uh, i can understand where he's coming from yeah from point of well i work I, in it so i know exactly what he means but, but i mean yeah. <laughs> i have a lot of footage on tapes and um i still have my camera 
because if I ever need to get that footage back on my computer, say if anything happened to my computer and I my whole everything, all the backups were wiped, everything, then I'd still have that footage on tape. Um, exactly. How would you get with, it back? Shooting with digital SLRs, there's there's none. You 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 put them onto multiple hard drives and hope nothing ever happens to them. But there will come a point where you can't connect those hard drives to a computer. Yeah, because no, it's a, it is a big problem. On, yeah, you know, because uh, FireWire, you know, you can't get a, you know, you look at uh, the MacBook Pro that's just come out. It's only got a USB port. And you, you yeah. use that not just for, you know, for connecting devices. You use that for your power. So you have to have all these multiple, you know, con connectors coming out of this one socket. So, you know, FireWire is gone. You know, we've got Thunderbolt now instead. Uh, I'm sure USB, you know, as it's been sticking around for a long time, but uh, how long that's going to be with us. So, yeah, it, it, it is a problem. Film's been around for over 100 years. Yes, so, you but, know, I mean. Uh, but then but, but, saying but, that, but with film, you need to put it refrigerated in a vault somewhere. And there's a oh, lot of films that, that have been lost because, you know, that they weren't treated that way. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. It needs, I mean, hence why, you know, the work Scorsese's doing in mm. preservation and restoration is amazing. But I mean, you, you, you know, the, uh, um, you know, in the industry I work in, you know, it's, it's been announced that, you know, like Sony are going to stop manufacturing spares for some of their, uh, you know, legacy drives and stuff in years to come or, or in the next year or so, which is quite scary because, again, like you said, that backwards compatibility with, um, you know, things that were shot on, I don't know, beta cam or whatever, you, you know, might, might not even, even, even if the media itself is, is still in good shape, it might not have a device to be able to play it back. So, yeah, you know, this is a big problem. And that's why that's a very interesting documentary. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's also Keanu Reeves hanging out with his mates, it looked like. Oh, the Wachowskis and whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I <laughs> mean, like, there's and Linklater and all those guys are in it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've 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 heard of a documentary whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was a documentary uh, that was based um, at the Alamo Draft House. It was made by this woman who's who'd worked there for a long time, and she was talking about, you know, film and digital, and mm -hmm. she actually shot it on film. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot more of a personal story than side by side is. So, as I say, side by side is is an argument that's been kind of raging, and they've just put it on a, in film form. Yeah, and it doesn't and it doesn't have a, a, a slant or an opinion either way. It's no. a very sit on the fence thing. With the but yeah. as I said, the reason I brought it up, what is very interesting is 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 Nolan is 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 still adamant that the way um, you know the there are to do things is is with film obviously he has his collaboration with wally fister on a lot of his his films as his dop and uh it was interesting because sam mendez did a um recently for uh i, I read somewhere for specter he did a um a, a, a lecture and one of the things he was given sort of 10 uh, words of advice to and, and again I'm paraphrasing here and I haven't got it in front of me to quote him properly yeah but 10, ten um, uh, recommendations to to you know want to be filmmakers out there and whatever and one of the things he says is something like you know Spielberg uh, Scorsese Tarantino 
uh, he names a few directors, you know, still shoot on film. Uh, Christopher Nolan's one of them. And there's a reason for that, and which I thought was quite interesting, quite an interesting quote. In fact, I wish I could find the quote. <laughs> I'm sure um, people can. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think we've got to move on. because I'm We have. Honest. We've we, got off topic. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, we should save that more for a podcast extra than for... Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I just wanted to uh, bring it up yeah. while we we're talking about IMAX and things. But yeah, that's cool. Sorry. Um, <laughs> moving on, moving on. But we, and we, we've done Batman to death as well. So yeah. let's move on yeah. from that as yeah. well. Okay, so. Let, let's let's move on to my pick for movie hell. Now, I'm not saying this is a bad film, but I, I why I picked it, it's kind of a very much an ordinary film, which it, it to me seems to be a waste of, um, of Nolan's... Uh, you know talent and that's um insomnia now insomnia is a remake of a dutch film by the same uh, norwegian norwegian oh, film sorry, norwegian yeah. film by the same yeah. name and um but it just it just felt like you know i i think he does it in a very stylish way but it's 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 very kind of for him it it's not it's very kind of uh you know mediocre i would say or not mediocre but it just seems very plain it doesn't seem to be quite his sort of style of storytelling yeah well i mean it's kind of interesting when we talked about memento at the beginning and and you know the thing about remakes and and memento a remake of that coming out already and and this was obviously made in 2002 it was only like uh, i think 97 was the the original norwegian film with stellan sarsgaard um, which I saw and I wasn't able to revisit for this podcast because I wasn't able to locate yeah, it I and couldn't, ran out of time. I couldn't but... find it either. I, I've never seen the original and I wanted to see it because I wanted to compare. Yeah, um, I mean, they're very similar, actually. Uh, there are some characterization changes, but it, it is, in terms of the story, it, it is almost almost a scene-for-scene scene remake, which is, which is unusual. But... Um, I mean, some of the some of the backstory on this, my my, my and, and this is really kind of what launched, you know, f- following on from momentum. I, I believe it was Steven Soderbergh who produced this, and he was the one that got, you know, they wanted to make a remake of the the, the Norwegian film as they do, you know, that becomes very vogue to to make an English language version of of films that have done well, and um, Steven Soderbergh liked or was so impressed with Memento that he got. Um, th- I mean, when you think about it, this was the first big studio film for Christopher Nolan with three Oscar winning actors a- a- as the leads. You know, I mean, that's quite wow. Yeah, well, I, I will have to say that, that that's what this film felt like. This felt like a dry run. This is like Hollywood going, well, we're going to give you this film. Go off, guy, go make it. And if it does well, we'll give you something better. Because that's what it felt like. It felt like a, a dry run. It felt like they said, well, you know, we kind of liked your indie work. Let's see if you can do a film for us. And and that's kind of like what it was. I mean, you know, because he got the, the sort of the funds to make something, you know, is what we would call a mid-budget film. Uh, you know, he got to work with uh, Al Pacino and Robin Williams, who at that point, hadn't done a role like this yeah well i mean this is this again what a massive loss last year robin williams i'm still i'm still feeling that one um but you you know one of the things i thought was really interesting about robin williams was obviously an incredibly funny man and you you know really 
really great comedy work. But some some of his better roles, I've actually thought, have been, you know, certainly some of the the, the dramas he did, like you know, Awakenings and um, uh, What Dreams May Come, and, and you know, things of that nature. But interestingly. This was the same year that he also did the the equally enjoyable good film, uh, One Hour Photo, and this was kind of Robin Williams' go at being the sort of um, antagonist, bad guy, creepy character, um, which I yeah, think is quite I interesting. I wasn't a big fan of One Hour Photo. I, Are we I, not? I, 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 I appreciated it, but right. it's not something I'd go back and watch again. I thought, yeah, it's very much. You know, he he was very good in it, but as a story, it was just kind of like, well, I wasn't I wasn't a big fan of it. Oh, people people who'd watch it, kids who'd watch it now would be like, "What is this? This doesn't make sense." You mean people used to have to take their their camera their their photos to be developed? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> was it not just in the cloud? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or on their phone? <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. The the serious roles has been very good. I mean, if you can say that with other actors. As well, I mean, I quite enjoyed Adam Sandler in uh, Drunk Punch Love. Right. Yes. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Or Punch Drunk Love. But but I mean, in, 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 yeah, it depends how many drinks you've had. But yeah, no, I mean, but but you know, in, interestingly, you know, like obviously, I don't want to get too into that. But Robin Williams, you know, I always thought he was good at playing that sort of, um, you know, anything emotional and 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 slightly sad, and you know, for a funny guy. And you know, when we look at what happened, then there's probably reasons for that but uh but yeah and, and obviously hillary swank who, who also was um a recent uh oscar winner um yeah. in this as well so but you know i mean it must have been a buzz for nolan being of our generation right he el pacino must have been one of his heroes growing up i mean he, he must have been right of <laughs> in and terms also of the fact actors. that he got a, a um a a performance out of him where he didn't go hooah hooah yeah, <laughs> exactly. actually yes considering it was post uh, post that it actually yeah. was a more sort of minimalized performance yes. wasn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had the one scene where he loses it but yeah generally yeah. speaking it was yeah. uh yeah pretty pretty reeled in wasn't it well okay for for those who don't know um the story is that um al pacino is a a, a well-known cop called will dormer and he goes down with his partner to um, it's Alaska. It is Alaska. Alaska yes. Yeah, they go to Alaska uh, and they go a fishing the... town in, in in Alaska. Yeah. And the so. thing is, they go in the middle of the summer, which uh, up in, in those regions is it's twenty four hours sunlight. Pretty much. Yeah. So they they're there to solve a murder of a <clears throat> of a young girl, and um, but they're also been sent up there to get away from a internal affairs investigation into um will dormer and it's a, you know it, it, again there's a little hint of that at the beginning the opening credits when you see blood soaking into white uh, white fabric you think it's to do with the murder case but it turns out it's not mm-hmm. and um quite nicely done actually. it's very like nicely that. done yeah 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 i mean it, it the, the nice thing is, is that nolan has been able to add his own sort of uh you know, touches to it. But, uh, yeah, so what happens when the search for this uh, killer um, is that uh, Will Dormer's partner gets shot and he gets shot by Will Dormer. And so he tries to cover up this crime by pinning it on um, the the murderer, 
who happens to have seen this happen and then tries to blackmail him or try to make him an accomplice to getting away with this crime. And all the time, um, Will Dormer is not getting any sleep. So he's, throughout this whole film, he's awake. He never gets any sleep at all. So he's having to deal with sleep deprivation and the fact that he's under a lot of pressure from, you know, infernal affairs, or sorry, internal affairs. <laughs> and <laughs> they're very infernal. Um, <laughs> and also from this murderer who's, you know, trying to get away with this crime. And so, it, it as I say, it's a very good story. Uh, I do enjoy it, but it just seems very ordinary. And it does feel like, as I said, a dry run, a test set, by, set up by Hollywood for him to, you know, prove himself, even though he had proved himself with Memento. But to prove that he could take a bigger budget and make a film that people go and see. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, you know, I, as I said, I had seen, I'd actually seen the the original Insomnia before this one. And um, at the time, uh, you know, again, I, I really wished I could have seen it and revisited it for this. But um, at the time, I did feel it was very much, uh, you, you know, in, in many respects, a straight remake, which I thought was 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 interesting. But, uh, but I think, you know, I watched it again um, for this podcast, uh, Nolan's one. And, you know, I think it's an incredibly, uh, you know, good film, actually. I like it because by the same time, you've got, you know, Hilary Swank's character is kind of a, a, a young, you know, police officer, rookie that sort of idolised the character uh, of Dorma, played by Al Pacino. Um, but interestingly, she's the one because, of course, what they do very well in this film is it's that old thing where you try and cover up one lie and then you have to create another lie to cover up that lie. And if he's doing all of this while sleep deprived as well. And, um, you, you know, she's the one that ends up, you know, figuring it out, which I think is quite, quite interesting because mm. she, she's kind of like, she idolizes this guy and who she thinks is this perfect cop with this perf perfect record and all this sort of thing, only to find that, you know, there, there are many, many cracks in this as as well and um uh, yeah you know, I, I, I can't just say something about that i yeah the, the one thing i found disappointing though was that she still had to be rescued by al pacino's character when it would have i think would have been a nice twist or a change that uh it was al pacino's character that had to be saved by her mm, yes you're right that was it i mean that was yeah that was a little bit you know yeah typical wasn't it rather yeah, than, yeah. than than it would have been nice e even even if that had happened which i can't remember if that had happened in the original it would have been nice if they'd maybe changed that for this version um would have been quite a nice uh you know twist on on retelling the story but um but yeah you know i think the film i think the performances you, you know robin williams gives gives a you know solid performance in this like you said it's it was at a time when that was slightly unusual to see him do that sort of thing um and yeah i, I mean I, I really enjoyed it going going back and revisiting it i i um i, I thought well this is you know I, I had my suspicions as to why you picked it for movie hell but at the same time you know i i'd, I'd sort of argue the fact that it is a decent um decent film and, and interestingly a decent remake despite what we've said about remakes in this podcast but you well, know it's i it's... mean 
the the thing about remakes is it's a way of bringing a film that people don't know of because i didn't know of the norwegian version of this film mm-hmm. and so making a remake of a foreign film does make people interested in the original brings the the original to light which may have passed us by if it wasn't you know yeah well it's like what we said with um when we were talking about fincher and you know the fact he remade the the girl with the dragon tattoo which you know he did he did well but uh, the the original source film was great anyway and uh um you, you know as with this i mean it, it had stellan sarsgaard in it who's now obviously a massive uh star in hollywood as well but um um but yeah i, I would have liked to have uh I would have liked to have rewatched that as well, just to mm. have seen how different it was and, and how much of a Nolan stamp was was on it, um, if any. In fact, one of the things that didn't come through in time, but I got the Blu-ray um, of Insomnia. And one of the things that's, that I really want to check out, but I didn't get a chance to do it before the uh, before this was he has a co- this is back when he used to do audio commentaries on his earlier films. And um he doesn't seem to do them anymore because he's too busy working on the next one, I guess. But um, they have an audio commentary, but it's done in shooting order. So the film is played in the order that they actually filmed everything with his commentary, which I think could be quite interesting yeah. to watch because I've not known that to be done before. So uh, so I, I'm definitely going to check that out. But um, but yeah, I, I, I do take your point, though. I see, again, based on his his wonderful body of work, you know, in movies we haven't even touched on, but um, uh, I, I can see why you, 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 you know, chose this one is perhaps, you know, not, not the best film of his because it doesn't feel, it doesn't seem to have anything that's particularly Christopher Nolan about it, apart from the fact that it's dark and serious, or I say dark, it's actually light, <laughs> but, you know, um, but, 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 you, you know, um, and it's you know it's very well made and and you know good on Steven Soderbergh for um for for, for giving a an up and coming filmmaker a chance and turning him into a you know a star filmmaker. So. Well, yeah, but I mean you know uh, when when you make a film like Memento, it, that puts you on the map. Oh, it definitely really does. I mean that that film was like his Reservoir Dogs, really. Yeah, because yeah. It definitely. was a film people went back to the cinema and watched over and over again. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's. I, I, he would have been picked up anyway. Yeah. Know, it was just Steven Soderbergh who, who sort of pulled the uh, the trigger on that one. Yeah. But still, I mean, it's 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 an enjoyable film, uh, but it's just not quite up there with the rest of his body of work. And it's, you know, it is because at the end of the day, he's been brought onto this project to you know, as a gun for hire, really. Yeah, oh, he was, definitely. And and, and what a what a buzz to get to work with Al Pacino and oh, Robin Williams. I mean, you know, come on, that that, that that's amazing. Um, but uh, but yeah, and I mean interestingly, you know, with with with, uh, with Christopher Nolan, he now seems to have, have have adopted this again quite enviable role of being executive producer and creative consultant on the DC expanded universe, which is kind of uh, DC stroke Warner's version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, which is sort of quite interesting. Where, where you know how much of a how much of an influence and how involved he's going to be with 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 that whole uh, roadmap that goes to like twenty 
20 or something at the moment. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, to tell the truth, um, I felt that Man of Steel, he was just, you know, that film was just name only. Well, he got involved in the story, apparently. Well, yeah. I mean, it does have signs of uh, of Nolan in there with the way it's told. That it's, it, it's sort of told in a kind of flashback, non-linear manner. Mm-hmm. But I think also the fact that it was to sort of to sort of take the attention off Zack Snyder because at this, I mean, you know, he just come off doing um, Sucker Punch and uh, his name was a bit of mud at the time, I think. You know, people were like, oh, really, Zack Snyder? And, you know, I'm not a fan of Man of Steel. I thought it was, I thought it was the wrong tone for a start. Um, Superman doesn't need to be super serious mm. which uh he was or brooding you can't you can't take the model of batman and put it on superman no, because they're no. two different characters no i understand i mean you, you know i uh there, there were things about it i felt were refreshing because uh much as i'm a, a massive fan of what uh you know richard donner and christopher reeve did with it and obviously you know big fan of smallville and and you know various things it it was in need of a proper reboot because you know the Brian Singer uh, Superman Returns film it was neither here nor there it kind of tried to homage you, yeah. you know the other stuff too much and kind of didn't really work so uh, you know I liked a lot of what they did with it I had issues with it but it sounds like some of the issues I had with it they're actually using as plot points in in you know the upcoming uh batman v superman dawn of justice uh film next year with the batfleck <laughs> <laughs> with batfleck yeah. yeah um it's gonna be an interesting film but uh I f- from what i know of it it feels like they're squeezing too much into it a lot of characters yeah yeah not only do you have batman and superman you have lex luthor and you also have wonder woman in there and supposedly you know, it's other, just, other heroes, uh, yeah. That are, yeah, yeah. I, it, they're they're trying to do the Marvel thing, but rushing it. Well, yeah, because of course they're they're you know what ten years behind the game almost, uh, yeah. or eight years well, behind. Or whatever. I, I'll give you what it feels like. It feels like they're going to do Iron Man and then have the Avengers slapped on at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's like what the fuck? Yeah. No, I mean it's 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 interesting. Um, you, you, you know, and again with Nolan. Um, well, no, I'm not going to go there because it's a whole other podcast. I was I was going to bring something else into it, but uh, no, I'll, I'll I'll save that for for futures. I think. Although <laughs> yeah. otherwise we'll be here for another half an hour easily if I get going on this <laughs> next thing. So, uh, and it's to do it's to do with the DC. You know the way the way Warner have decided to handle the uh, that 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 property as opposed to what marvel have done but it's it's a long conversation so we'll leave oh. that for another time i feel yeah we'll leave that for another time yeah, yeah. Uh, we just we just know that nolan's involved uh, how much he's involved in it we well also the other thing is and again this is rumored massively rumored but there are rumors that nolan might be the director on the next bond film possibly which could be interesting according to imdb he is working on a project that's that's due out in 2017 so maybe maybe but i mean let's let's wait and see depends if mendez is going to hand over the range just yet doesn't it which i guess depends on whether daniel craig's going to continue doing it or not 
So yeah. there's a lot of what ifs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the moment, they sound like they don't want to do it ever again. But uh, but then you don't know because mm. it it will be a couple of years time at least before there's another Bond film out. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but in the meantime, plenty of superhero movies to keep us going. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, yes. And, and a little film called Star Wars coming up as well. <laughs> yes. I, I have to say, um, just I'm going to say briefly, I have trepidation about it. It's, uh, it's JJ. Yeah, the it's JJ. I mean, but... I know. It's just it's a lot of advertising at the moment. And well, I've avoided the, the all first... of it. I've a... Well, the first couple of trailers are really good, but now we're seeing more and more of it, and I'm starting to wonder. Now, well, I've avoided everything. I mean, I got this summer. I got annoyed with the uh, some of the trailers for the blockbusters this summer that gave everything away in the trailer, and I was like, "What the fuck?" So, um, Star Wars, I've actually avoided everything. I don't want to know. Well, basically, I don't want to know anything until I see it, and then once I've seen it, I want to know everything. But, um... Well, I'll say this: the, the 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 trailers, the first two trailers that came out, haven't given away that much. They're they're really good trailers because it's all about atmosphere more than anything. All right. So you you couldn't tell what the plot is. It's just since the international trailer that came out from Japan and all these sort of TV spots, you're seeing a lot more, and it's. it's slightly wild. I won't even go into toy shops at the moment because I don't want to I don't want to even look at the action figures uh, or merchandise because I'm worried it's going to spoil something so I'm I, I in fact I've gone there haven't I I should, shouldn't have bought this up anyway so uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but there you go cool well anyway anyway so uh that was um our episode on Christopher Nolan yeah. plus talking about film and digital <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say, I always feel with these things that I end up saying about 50% of what I want to say, but that's A, because I don't make notes, that will teach me, and B, because these things are very conversational, aren't they? So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. we do this often. We've done him justice, I think, at least. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he is an exceptional film. He's great, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he, out of his body of work, he hasn't really done what I would call a stinker or a bomb. I mean, you may not like it, but, you know, but at least they're, you know, compelling films. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Right. Well, let us sign off in our usual manner. Um, Keith, where can we find your work? Go to YouTube, put in British Isles, E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name, and you will find uh, short films that I've made there. Okay, and uh, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. You can also find us on uh, YouTube, Stitcher, and uh, Mixcloud. You can also, uh, also, we're on YouTube. Just search for Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. Um, follow us on Facebook and uh, Twitter. Just search for Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, yes, when you're there, uh, leave us a comment and... Uh, Give us a rating and uh, just, you know, help spread the word. Yes, please do. And uh, please also remember to uh, to send in your uh, your requests for the New Year podcast. Yes, indeed. As if we haven't got <laughs> enough already. But yes, exactly. Give us more. <laughs> so until the next episode, take care. Bye bye.
Wow, it didn't cut out on us. Yay.